Today's a great day uh, to be here and to be with uh, Dr. Gary Oliver. And we did this last year. We're going to do this next year. I just think God blesses so much in an amazing way through these times. When we come together, we set everything else aside and we focus on our families. And if you do think back to when God created the heavens and the earth and God put Adam and Eve in the garden, the very first thing he created was not government, schools, or churches. He created the family. And so we want to keep the family as a priority at Grace Point Church. And we had Dr. Gary Chapman last year. Dr. Gary Oliver is with us this year. He's a local guy. He's kind of from this area. He's actually the executive director of the Center of Relationship Enrichment over at JBU. But he also teaches out at Denver Seminary. He's a professor of psychology and practical theology. He's been on the board of Promise Keepers. He just has amazing tentacles in the way he's touching lives and families right here in northwest Arkansas and also around the world. How he's equipping families and counselors right here in northwest Arkansas to, make, uh, to create family ministries around, uh, again, around our country. And we just thank you, thank, thankful for him being with us today. Uh, as well, uh, we're going to be back tonight at five, beginning at 5 o'clock, and hopefully you have a ticket. If you don't, pick up one at Ticket Central on your way out today. As we're going to be talking about how to turn that anger into intimacy. And uh, one of the last books that uh, Gary and his, uh, his, his wife, who's passed away a year and a half ago, wrote was this book that we're, we're focusing on. And so uh, Gary was married to, to Carrie for 27 years. And so he comes, and as uh, she passed away a year and a half ago, he comes to share life experiences, real life experiences, but also a heart that God has touched and worked in. And so would you welcome Dr. Gary Oliver to come speak with us? Good morning. It's a joy to be here. I've been hearing a lot about what God's doing at Grace Point for many years, and it's just a great time to be here. Pastor, thank you for uh, inviting me and trusting me with being able to stand up and share. I'm going to talk about real love for real life, and I um, want to talk about love and romance and a lot about marriage this morning, but whenever uh, I'm at some place and they hear that there's a guy talking about marriage, the single adults will oftentimes say, well, then I can tune this baby out and get like about a half hour worth of sleep because I'm not married, and I want to let you know something. I was married for 27 years. My wife, Carrie, died about a year and a half ago from metastatic pancreatic cancer. And uh, so I've been single now for the last year and a half. 95% of what I'm going to share this morning will relate to you whether you're single or married. So if you're not married, uh, don't don't tune out. Stay with me because there are a lot of important things I want to share with you. It's great this, this Valentine's weekend to talk about love. You know, one of the most important things that God has built into us as as image bearers, is that we have the capacity, just as God is love, God's called us to love like Him. And it's amazing as we go through life, I see so many people who fall in love, they get married, but the divorce rate shows that just love is not enough. And there are different types of love and levels of love. God wants to teach us to love each other with the same love that He has for us, that the Godhead has the Father, Son, the Holy Spirit. That's the kind of love that God wants to empower you and I to love with. And the tragic thing is I see so many couples and many Christian couples who unfortunately settle for second best. You know, we don't want to settle for second best in anything. But I find so many couples as I travel around the country and speak and teach and do research, so many couples will settle for second best in relationships. In Ephesians, Christ said that now, or Paul said, the Holy Spirit through Paul said, now unto him who is able to do exceedingly abundantly beyond all you ask or think. And that's what God has for your life and my life, believe it or not. 
He wants to do exceedingly abundant beyond all we ask or think. About two months before my wife Carrie died, my middle son Matt died. I have three boys. One's in heaven and, and, and two are still here on earth with me. Uh, and then two months later, my wife died. About four or five months ago, my, my last sibling, Marcia, died. And uh, I've had a lot of losses. And I'm here to tell you this morning that God is a good God. He's not just a promise maker. He's a promise keeper. He's a God of goodness, mercy, and loving kindness. All of his promises are true. You're here this morning, and maybe you're having some struggles in your marriage. And a group this size, there probably are two or three of you. And uh, odds are good maybe no one knows that you're struggling. Okay? Two things. I want to share a piece of good news with you, and then I want to encourage you to come back at 5 o'clock tonight. Because I'm going to share some things tonight that are going to do a 180 on how you, you, you conflict. I'm going to help you see that conflict can actually be healthy, and that in God's hands, conflict can lead to the deepest levels of intimacy. It's going to be a great night, so I hope you'll be back at 5 o'clock and bring some friends. But one I want to share with you if you're struggling. About oh, nine or ten years ago, they did a study of 13,000 couples across the country. 13,000 couples is a huge sample. That's a lot of people. And they were asked to rate their marriage from very unhappy to very happy. Okay, so very unhappy, our marriage could not be better, man. This is great. This is like heaven and on earth. Woo! Hang on, Sloopy. Uh, you know, I just, this, uh, very unhappy means that my marriage major sucketh. That's King James. Uh, and uh, it's not at all a good relationship. So they were asked to rate their marriage from very happy to very unhappy. Of those couples who rated their marriage as very unhappy but chose to work on it, five years later, 86%. 86% rated their marriage as happy or very happy. So if you're here this morning and you're struggling, don't believe lies of the evil one. Okay? He's a thief, he's a liar, he's a robber. God's promises still apply to you, and God still wants to do great work in your life. In the beginning, God created relationships. You know, relationships are God's idea. In the beginning, God created relationships, and then things went well in the Garden of Eden until Adam and Eve made a choice, until Adam and Eve chose to sin. And when Adam and Eve chose to sin, sin did a lot of things to, to, to mankind. But sin had two immediate relational effects. The first relational effect of sin is that we tend to hide. Okay? Adam and Eve uh, hid in the garden. They put fig leaves on. They hid from God. They hid from themselves. They hid from each other. We tend to hide. Just a couple of questions for you to think about. How do you hide? Okay, we all hide in different ways, as those of us who are married especially. But how do we hide from each other? Never forget when the first couples I saw, married 37 years, after about 10 minutes, she, she turned to her husband and said, we've been married for 37 years. I've borne six children. We've gone from some money to bankruptcy to worth millions of dollars. They were very successful. We've been leaders in our church. You, you've been head deacon. I lead women's Bible studies. We teach Sunday school. And then she paused and said, and I have absolutely no idea who you are. 37 years. I've heard that time and time again. Couples married one year, five years, 25 years. In my years as a marriage therapist, I have counseled two couples who have had their golden wedding anniversary. They've been married over 50 years. And they were coming because they were considering divorce. See, some couples have had 40 years of marriage. Other couples have had one year of marriage 40 times. So how do you hide? What do you hide? What do you hide from your spouse? And the last question is, what do you need to share with your spouse so he or she can understand you better, to know how to pray for you, to come alongside, to, 
to be a Barnabas, to be an encourager to you. One of the effects of sin is that we tend to hide. The second main effect of sin on relationships is that we tend to hurl. We tend to cast blame. Okay? If there's a problem, it's, it, it, it's our spouse's fault. God comes to Eve, says, Eve, what happened? And she said, well, snake. Huh? So she blames the snake. God goes to Adam and says, Adam, what happened? And he says, this woman. I mean, at least Eve had the class to blame the snake. You know, he could have said, this hippopotamus or this, you know, but, you know, but he blames Eve, this woman. And then he says, that thou gavest me. What a dork. I mean, he blames the big guy. You know, don't blame the big guy. You know, but God, just kidding. I didn't really mean that. Just kind of, this woman which thou gavest me. And since the first couple, we've been hurling blame. America used to be the land of the free, but now we're the land of the fault free. Because it is a problem. It's not my fault. Isn't it amazing how whenever there's an issue, in a millisecond, our mind goes to all the things our spouse could have done differently? or our parents could have done differently, or our friends or our sons or our daughters could have done differently. It's amazing how sin has kind of turned our mind that way. Whenever there's a problem, it's always somebody else's fault. They didn't listen. They didn't understand. They didn't take the time. So we tend to hide and we tend to hurl. And, and I'll tell you, our buttons can get pushed ever so quickly. I know you all don't struggle with this here at Grace Point, but there are some folks, some Presbyterians in Northwest Arkansas that really sometimes have this problem, so kind of be kind to them as you come across them. Yeah, God designed us for relationships, and God designed us for intimacy. And uh, let me share with you my favorite definition of intimacy, because I made it up. Uh, intimacy is the place where we experience and enjoy all that God created us to be and become. It's a place where we feel safe to express our deepest longings for significance and security. It's a place where we can gradually let down our barriers and masks. It's a place where we can celebrate our strengths and expose the weakness and fears and doubts that plague us. It's a safe haven of encouragement where we want to listen. We can bask in the warmth of someone who wants to listen to us. It's a place where the presence of Christ becomes very real to us through the presence of another person. Probably the simplest definition of intimacy are just taking the words and spelling out into me see. Into me see. Intimacy means that I trust you to share myself with you and to let you see the good, the bad, the ugly, the strengths, the weaknesses, all of who I am. God also designed us to experience and enjoy real love. God built into your heart and my heart a longing for connection, a longing for intimacy, a, 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 a need to be loved and needed and, and be touched a craving for connection. That was God's idea for us. And in fact, the Bible has a whole lot to say about love. In Mark 12, when Christ was asked what the greatest commandment is, he took the first two commandments and put them into one. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, strength, and love your neighbor as you love yourself. So the greatest commandment was actually the first two. In John 13, 34, and 35, Christ says, A new commandment I give unto you, that you love one another as I have loved you. Now in the Old Testament... We could get by with maybe loving our neighbor as ourself, okay? But Christ says, this is a new commandment now. No longer is the standard that you love your neighbor as you love yourself. And you can love your neighbor as you love yourself unless you're like you're really narcissistic. Then you can't love anybody like you love yourself because you're God's gift to the world, you know? That's what a narcissist is. A narcissist is the one who wrote the poem, I love myself, I think I'm grand. I go to the movies and I hold my hand. I put my arms around my waist and want to get fresh. I slap my face. <laughs> That's your narcissist. But if you're not narcissistic, maybe you could love someone. But Christ says that you love one another as I have loved you, that you also love one another. By this the world will know you're my disciples. Especially in a postmodern generation, 
The evidence that demands a verdict is not archaeology or science or whatever. The evidence that demands a verdict is the love that's seen between people who name the name of Jesus Christ, and especially those who are husband and wife. That there be a unique love there that can be explained only by the presence of our risen Lord. That's the evidence that demands a verdict. By this, all men will know you're my disciples if you love one another. And then I love the Lord's Prayer in John 17, which is really the Lord's Prayer. He says, Father, I've given them the glory you gave me so that they may be one as we are one. I and them and you and me all being perfected into one. Then the world will know that you sent me. How will the world know that Christ was sent from the Father and will understand that you love him as much as you love me by that love? And the marriage love is a very, very special love. It's a metaphor or a picture for, for Christ and for the church. It's, it's a metaphor for sanctification. But what is real love? There are a lot of uh, ideas of what love is like. And let me just share a few things with you. And then, then I want to close something very, very practical for you to take home and actually start working on it this afternoon. Real love is more than just infatuation. Okay? Real love is more than just infatuation. I can't count the couples who come from marriage counseling the last 25 years. So basically, when they got married, they had this infatuation with each other. And uh, infatuation, you know, for many people, their definition of love is this. Love is a feeling that you feel when you feel that you're going to feel a feeling you never felt before. <laughs> now, that could be love. It could be bad onions on your pizza. It could mean your underwear is too tight. I mean, you know, that could be a lot of things that you're feeling, you know. But it may not be love. Love is more than just a feeling. A lot of folks confuse love and infatuation. You say, Gary, what's the difference? Well, I've come up with a very simple difference. Let me show it to you. Okay, here's infatuation. Infatuation is when you think that he's as gorgeous as Brad Pitt, as pure as Colin Powell, as funny as Woody Allen, as athletic as Dennis Rodman, and as smart as Albert Einstein. What a stud muffin. <laughs> what a paragon of reality, huh? What a hunk. You are lucky, woman. Okay, here's love. Love is when you realize that he's as gorgeous as Woody Allen, <laughs> as smart as Dennis Rodman, <laughs> as funny as Colin Powell, as athletic as Albert Einstein, and nothing like Brad Pitt in any category. <laughs> but you'll take him anyway, okay? That's the difference between love and infatuation, and there's a big difference there. Real love is a daily decision and has to be cultivated. Real love is a daily decision, sometimes more than once a day, and has to be cultivated, just like you cultivate a plant. The deal is, if we're not cultivating relational intimacy, if daily you aren't choosing to cultivate relational intimacy with your husband, wife, with your son, your daughter, with your friend, with whoever. I'm talking primarily about marriage, but this extends across all relationships. Then we will experience relational atrophy. And that's what happens to so many marriages. You know, most marriages don't fall apart because of, of a blowout. Most marriages fall apart because of a slow leak, because of inattention. And we get busy being successful, doing our stuff, keeping our schedules, our hobbies, whatever the case might be. If we're not cultivating relational intimacy, we will experience relational atrophy. Real love cultivates healthy conflict. And this is a surprising one for a lot of folks. Real love cultivates healthy conflict. And I'm going to move past this next clip and not, and not use this, okay? Real love, and, and tonight I, I want to show you that because so often when I'm interviewed by a paper or by, or by the media, by television, I'm asked, Dr. Oliver, what do you think is the major cause of, of, of so many divorces? Is it sex, uh, finances, uh, in-laws, parenting? 
And quite frankly, the number one cause for divorce is that people don't understand how to have healthy conflict. Now, they may have conflict over sex or over in-laws or over finances or over these other types of things, but most people have no idea how to have healthy conflict. And they don't understand how healthy conflict can actually lead to increased safety, which can increase trust, which can lead to the intimacy that every single person wants because God built into us this need for intimacy. And tonight I'm going to show you how to do this. But real love cultivates healthy conflict. Real love takes the, uh, real love values individual differences. I want to share this tonight too more on this, but, but let me just show you some simple differences. Here's, here's a diagram of a man, okay, what a man looks like. And men are wired very, very simply. Men aren't that complex at all. Then here's a female, here's a woman. And it's a whole different deal, you know. Uh, guys, we're just much more simple. And the problem is, guys, if you get one of these knobs wrong, it's your party and you'll cry if you want to. It will not be pretty, okay? We are wired differently. And it's great because we're fearfully and wonderfully made. And I'm going to show you some more stuff tonight that will cause you to laugh but also give you some great ahas. Yeah, real love values individual differences. Real love takes the initiative. Real love takes the initiative. And see, this is straight out of God. God, God takes the initiative with us. He loved us first. God loved us first. Real love doesn't focus on how others should love us. Real love focuses on how others, uh, or, or how I can love others. Real lovers focus on the degree to which they are being loving rather than the degree to which they are being loved. Okay? My focus is on not how well are you loving me and how well do you appreciate me and make me feel better about myself, but to what degree am I successful in loving you, in bearing all things, believing all things, hoping all things, enduring all things. That's how I define success. Real lovers daily choose to make a unilateral and unconditional commitment to an imperfect person. Now, love can either be a feeling that you feel when you feel you're going to feel a feeling you've ever felt before, okay? Or real love can be a unilateral and unconditional commitment to an imperfect person. And since we're all imperfect, then we all qualify for this, eh? See, this, this is kind of a different view of love than certainly we see on TV or, or uh, you know, we read about. This is a agape, Christ-like love. It's a love that can only happen when God is loving through us with a strength and a power and a passion and a purpose that transcends our ability as humans to muster this up. And then last of all, real love cherishes and nourishes. And I kind of want to land this here. When I was at seminary, I, I got an MDiv from Talbot Seminary, my THM from Fuller Seminary. I, I had to do a paper. I had to translate the entire book of Ephesians. And I had to parse every verb. I had to go into a book study and, and the times of what was going on at Ephesus and the Temple of Diana. And there's all, the whole history is on like a mama honking paper. I got an A on it. But it was only several years later, actually after I was married, that I really began to understand parts of Ephesians, especially Ephesians chapter 5. Paul here says a few verses on love to wife. And then he has a whole section to husbands. But kind of down there in Ephesians chapter 5, verse 29 he says that no one ever hated his own flesh, but cherishes and nourishes it. Cherish and nourish. And many years after doing my brilliant exegesis of, of uh, Ephesians 5, did I begin to realize what that is. I now understand that cherish and nourish are two sides of the coin of love. Cherish is an attitude. Okay? Cherish is an attitude. Cherish says, I value you. You're important to me. And we all have things we cherish. I have a friend in Southern California who got a, a 1957 
Chevy station wagon with, with wood paneling, and he has restored that thing, and it is like new. And he cherishes that thing. Some of you may collect precious moments. Guys, I hope you don't collect precious moments, but that's okay if you do, you know, if you're in touch with your soft side. But, but uh, you may collect precious moments or, or teacups or, 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 or you may collect certain pottery or stamps or coins or guns. We all have things that we cherish. But you can cherish something and that object cannot really be aware that it's cherished. I've had a lot of couples I've worked with in over 15, 20 years of marriage. I've never once heard their spouse say, I love you. Seriously. Never once heard their spouse say, I love you. I've had people I've worked with adults who have never once heard their mom or dad say to them, I love you. I worked with a, a five-time All-Pro for an NFL team. And he came into my office in probably our third or fourth session. He to talk about his time with his dad. He said, you know, Doc, he said, I grew up in, in high school. I was All-State. Uh, and in co college, I was first-team All-American. I was uh, drafted third in the draft in the NFL. I did All-Pro five, six times. He said, you know, and, and, and never once have I heard my dad say, son, that, that was a great job. Son, I'm proud of you. It's always I could do this better, I could do that better. He said, enough is never enough. He said, he said I never once remember hearing my dad, and here's this big, huge guy with tears starting to come down his cheek. Never once have I ever heard my dad say, son, I love you. You know, no matter what your gender is, it's nice to be told that you're loved. And it's nice to have that love shown. So what does it mean? What does it look like to show love? Well, Paul says cherish, which is an attitude, but also nourish, which is an action. Nourish. What does it mean to nourish? Well, God gave me a great example. When I was leaving Southern California to move back to Nebraska for a year, and then I was going to go on and get my doctorate, um, I uh, moved into a, a farmhouse. I was going to help a, a friend start a rural study center in Central Nebraska. Moved into a farmhouse. And I was by myself, and I had some furniture for this night. It was a two-story, gorgeous farmhouse, three miles from the nearest paved road, oak floors and banisters, and, and, but it was really an old place. So I thought, you know, this is kind of empty, so I'll go to a nursery. I'll buy some plants, because plants like kind of, they, they, they make the room look better, and, and, and they help enrich the air. So I went and bought some plants. As the girl was talking, I didn't really listen to what she said, because I thought plants need fertilizer, they need water, and they need sunlight. So I, uh, I just kind of nodded, kind of like, mm, ooh, hmm, <laughs> didn't hear a word she said, you know. I know you don't know anybody who can act like they're listening but not listen, but there are people who can do that, you know. They don't even listen, but they look like they're listening. <laughs> Go figure. Uh, and uh, so I walked out, grabbed some Job spikes, get home, I read this package. Okay, for an eight-inch pot, use one spike. But you see, I thought that's if you wanted, like, normal plants. But I didn't want normal wussy plants. I wanted studly. I mean, I want these hummers to grow, right? So I thought, I'll triple the fertilizer. And that's what I did, man. I put in three spikes rather than one. And uh, do plants need water? Yeah. So I watered my plants like a river glorious. I watered my plants exceedingly abundant beyond all they asked or thought. Man, those hummers were floating in water. Now, do you know what I had about a week later? Yeah, dead plants, but they weren't just dead. Those babies were fried. Okay, you touch a leaf, you know, I'd go around, da, 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 I mean, that triple the fertilizer just burned those babies. They were cooked. So I go back, I go back, and, and I say, um, you know, I'd like to buy some more plants. And so this time as she spoke, I write everything she said down. And I made an amazing discovery. I discovered that plants are different and that what will cause one plant to thrive will kill another plant. 
Some plants like to be kind of a little bit dry before you water them. Some like to be kept moist. Some like to like go over the sink and have water kind of poured through them like once a week. Some like a pot at the bottom and you can suck the, suck the water up. But no plant likes triple fertilizer. <laughs> and no plant likes like the just drowning in water. What will cause one plant to grow will kill another plant. I killed my first round of plants. Now, did I want to nourish them? Mm -hmm. Did I mean well? Were, were my intentions good? Was I sincere? Yes, 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 and yes. But I killed the plants. And I discovered that when you love something, when you love someone, you don't give them what you think they need. You give them what you know they need. You love someone by giving them and loving them in ways meaningful to them. And you do that by the one you love. Watch, look, listen. What brings them joy? What makes them smile? What time of the day are they a little like slower than others? Okay. What times might they tend to be more negative and might need a hug or just a, a, a pick-me-up, a cheery thing? What does it look like to nourish? You know what I've discovered over the years? That, that nourish is almost always little things. Little things. Things like a phone call. When I ask couples to say how or what could your partner do to you to show love for you, hold my hand. Call me once a day. Pray with me on the phone. Little things, silly things. I remember my, my, my first year for my doctoral program, and I was having lunch my first day of class, and, and I, I was meeting with Dr. Dixon, who was my, my, my chair of my department. We were in the uh, cafeteria at the University of Nebraska. And Carrie would fix me a sack lunch, and we were kind of poor. Then she always put a paper napkin on top. So I'm with Dr. Dixon. We're at, at lunch. This is my first meeting with the chair of the department. And we're talking. I have eye contact. I open up my brown bag, and I go to pull the napkin out. About halfway out of the bag, I realize what I'm feeling is not paper, it's silk. As I pull it up further, I realize that it's, it's black and pink. <laughs> and by this time, it's out of the bag, and I realize that I have a pair of my wife's underwear <laughs> in my hands. And what do you say? <laughs> you know, except praise the Lord. Uh, <laughs> God is good all the time. Uh, and so... And so my wife, she knew I was nervous, she knew was, but she didn't know I was going to have lunch with Dr. Dixon. Okay, she did not know this. So, so she put a pair of, of, of a very small underwear in the top of my bag just to just, you know, kind of to say I love you. So I pull it up, and I look at him. He looks at me, and he says, your wife must love you a lot. And I said, yes. And he says, you need to go home? <laughs> and I said, hey, I'll be back in a half hour. No, I'll be back in an hour. <laughs> No, I mean, you know, that was a little thing. I've never forgotten that. I've never forgotten that. And I, I think in your notes, or if they're not in your notes, we'll, we'll make it available to you, that there's a whole list of small, seemingly insignificant things that we can do, that you can do. And here's what I want to challenge you with, okay? For the next seven days, regardless of what your husband or wife chooses to do, and if you're single, then you can apply this to someone else in your life. Regardless of what your spouse chooses to do, what would it look like for you to choose to nourish them, to love them in ways meaningful to them. And the best time to do this is when they don't deserve it. The best time to do this is when your spouse is just being a real jerk. My wife, Carrie, and I never once discussed divorce. Not once. Homicide came up on several occasions. <laughs> but divorce was not on the table. You see, real love involves a unilateral and unconditional commitment to an imperfect person. 
and starts by, in part, you and I choosing to say, regardless of what my wife or husband chooses to do, I'm going to love them as Christ loved, loved the church. Little things, you guys, make all the difference in the world. I wish I'd known this when I was first married. The little things. Just as your Heavenly Father nourishes you, God wants to teach you how to nourish each other. Cherish is a what? Remember? Cherish is an attitude. What is it again? Cherish is a? And nourish is a? You bow your heads and close your eyes. Lord, thanks for your love for us. I thank you for the work that you're doing here at Grace Point. And God, for the way that this, that this fellowship is impacting Northwest Arkansas. I thank you, Lord, that lives and relationships are being changed. I thank you, Lord, that this is a lighthouse for hope. And I thank you for the commitment uh, that the pastor and the leadership has for marriages and families. And I thank you, God, that you are concerned about our relationships. Lord, this morning I pray you'd help us not just to be hearers of the word, but to be doers. And especially for those of us who are married, Lord, that regardless of what our spouse does or doesn't choose to do, that we would purpose in our heart, Lord, this week, to at least several times a day, to nourish our beloved, to love them, to encourage them, to serve them in ways that are meaningful to them. I thank you, Lord, for the difference that this can make in our life and our marriage and for the testimony this is, God, to who you are and the difference that you want to make in our lives. Thank you, Lord, and bring us back safely tonight. We affirm our love for you in Jesus' name. Amen.